Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you with great boldness. Boldness in our hearts and boldness in our minds and boldness in our mouths to you. Just saying about your faithfulness, God. Great is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness in creation, in salvation, in your promises, in your love, in your grace, in your kindness, in your gentleness, in your provision, in your sovereignty, in your chastening, Lord. As our refuge, as our savior, as our priest, as our king, as our teacher, as our friend, as our spouse, you are faithful. Remind us of your faithfulness, Lord, not just in our minds and our hearts, but reveal yourself, unveil yourself to us this morning. Let our faith be in you, in you alone, Lord. Let faith arise out of our souls as we pour forth our praise to you and we rejoice in you and we celebrate you. Bless us, Lord, as we meet together in this room, and online, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, go ahead and take a seat. Well, welcome once again. Um, brief update. Governor Kemp this week has extended the, um, you know, the shelter-in-place order for older adults. Old means 65 and older, which a lot of you are in this room violating that. And then also for um, those who have compromised health and those kinds of things, that's been extended in our state and in our community to June 15th. And I bring all that up to say is what we're doing this morning, what we're doing throughout the week, anticipate that to extend at least through... Um, the middle of June, and again, we'll continue to sit in this week by week and pray. Hey, John, can you throw on the lights, pretty please? Um, open your Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going to go through all of the letter of 1 Thessalonians this morning, but we want to get a little bit of context under our belts. Any other announcements? Oh, this is, a, this is one thing that I did want to say this morning, is we're meeting online um, through Zoom, where we're able to see each other, open the Word of God together, fellowship with one another. I was telling Nathan, he was the first one that logged in on Wednesday night, and I told him, you know, if I wasn't the pastor of the church, I would not be here tonight. Um, I had no desire, you know, I sit in front of a computer screen all day long as part of my job doing an accountant. All the meetings that I have, they're all on my computer screen. The last thing I wanted to do on Wednesday night was sit in front of a computer screen again. But again, through the fellowship that we had that evening, I walked away thankful that God made me partake. I was blessed. I was sharpened. I was encouraged. I was able to see all of your different faces. And I absolutely was humbled and uh, grateful and thankful um, and again, restored. And again, in the moments of where I'm fatigued and I'm tired, you walk away an hour, an hour and a half later, and you're inflated because of the Lord and because of our relationships as brothers. And I want to say this. So whether it's Tuesday night for the students uh, with uh, Peterson and Lori, whether it's on Wednesday night with the guys as we're going through Romans, whether it's on Thursday night with the gals, for those of you who are listening and watching, for those of you in the room that may not be participating in those things, take advantage. 
Put forth the effort and just do it, even though you don't want to. You will be blessed. You will be encouraged. You will be loved. And again, this is a, um, is anybody else sick of what's going on right now? Like just, um, there's a lot more of you here this morning, and that communicates to me. We're sick of being isolated. We're sick of not seeing each other face to face. We're moving forward in love. We're doing what's required of us. We're waiting on the Lord in expectancy. We all have our different contexts. Um, but it is very, very fruitful. It is a blessing to be in one another's presence. Even as we sit in the Thessalonians this morning, as Paul is writing to them, you're going to hear his heart. He wants to see him face to face. He longs to see him. We long for this interaction with one another. All right, enough on that. So you're all invited. All the links are on the homepage. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. Yeah. Once again, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are opening your word, trusting, Lord, that your word is alive It is filled with your power. It is filled with your life. It is filled with your plans, your purposes, your promises. We open not just to have a head knowledge, but Lord, we're asking that you would transform our hearts this morning. That as we open your words, that it would be your spirit who speaks to us. And Lord, that it would be you who creates in us a clean and a new heart on which your word is written and that your word would not return to you empty but it would return to you in the full fruitfulness in which you've preserved it we love you it's in jesus name we pray amen i want to come back to acts chapter 9 because we're sitting in paul's relationship with the church in thessalonica And as we sit in his relationship with other human beings, we're getting a lot of his heart and a lot of his perspective. And I think it's helpful to remember where Paul came from. Because in Acts 8, we see that he's consenting to to Stephen's death. Talks about this great persecution that arose against the church. Saul was making havoc of the church. He's entering homes, he's dragging people off, committing them to prison. The beginning of chapter 9, it says that Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Now, I bring this up because I want to ask you the question, what does it take in a human personality, not just to have an annoyance and hatred and uh, to be in opposition against somebody theologically and mentally, but what does it take in a person's character to actually do physical damage to other human beings? To me, I don't care what culture you were raised in, the, the prospect of violently opposing another human being, to me, communicates what's going on on the inside. Paul was a passionate man, and clearly he was also a violent man, willing to drag men, women, children out of homes, out of their gatherings, and drag them before religious authorities to say, shut up. So in Acts chapter 9, we have Paul's radical conversion, and his radical conversion is what happened. 
Jesus Christ manifested himself in all of his power and all of his glory to Saul on this road, and he struck blind. He had an encounter with the God who created the heavens and the earth. He had an encounter with the Christ, with the Messiah, with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who he was persecuting. All of his anger, whatever he had going on inside as a man, it was just confronted by Jesus. And you go through this process where Ananias comes and lays hands on him and immediately we see Paul preaching Jesus as the Christ. He has an instant and a radical conversion. But then we have this 10-year gap in his life. And I think in that 10-year gap in his life, I'm not sure how instantly God changed Paul's heart to other human beings. But by the time we see him engaged in ministry underneath the power of the Holy Spirit as he's going and sharing the gospel, Paul is radically in love with people. So when we see him show up in Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17, which is really where we're studying through, he just was, he and Silas were just beaten Okay, and again, in a violence that we can't imagine, they leave that community, and the next community that we see, they're in Thessalonica, and he's going, and he's preaching, he's reasoning, he's, they're having discourse and conversation, he's opening the Bible widely, um, explaining it to them, demonstrating this evidence biblically, and I'm sure face-to-face as the Holy Spirit is working through Paul in this community. And then we're told that many in Thessalonica, and this is uh, chapter 17, verse 4, some of them, them being the Jews, some of the Jews were convinced, persuaded. And it says a great multitude of devout, so worshiping Greeks, and not a few of the leading, the first women of this community, they turned to Jesus Christ in faith through Paul's love for them and concern for them. Again, you you have to... Please sit in that kind of transformation. And that transformation that only has occurred through Jesus in his life. And in this community in Thessalonica, the Jews are jealous. So Paul's countrymen, the Jews, they raise up persecution. They stir up the mob. And there's another persecution that occurs in this community in Thessalonica. And then Paul flees by night. Remember the scene. So now, as we turn in our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, we're told in Acts that he was there only for a few weeks. So he only has a few weeks of establishing relationship with these other human beings. And when he leaves, he's fleeing persecution. So he's safe from the persecution. But again, in his love and his care for others... Paul has had this great concern as he goes to Athens, as he spends a year and a half in Corinth, we're told. At some point, while he's in Athens, while he's in Corinth, this is when he writes the letter to the Thessalonians. But before he writes this letter, he has already sent Timothy to go and see how they're doing. He sent Timothy to go and remind them about the Lord, to establish them in the Lord, to, to strengthen them in their relationship in the Lord, worried about their persecution. How are they doing? Have they faltered? Have they turned away? Have they rejected the Lord? Are they being beaten? Are they being persecuted? What, is it, what does it look like for them? How are they faring? 
So in this, we want to see, and again, we're, we're gonna, I'm going to continue to bring this up this morning, notice the radical transformation of the Lord in Paul's life. And Paul, as we go through this letter, he is an example for us. He is a man that we are told that we ought to imitate him as he followed Jesus. And that as we imitate him, and we become like him, so to say, Jesus being our ultimate example, other human beings become imitators of us. We're going to watch that in this letter. So as we go through, we're going to read through the entire context of 1 Thessalonians. We'll read the whole letter and then back up and just there's a few things that the Lord has highlighted for me over this week uh, that I feel that I ought to share with you. And then as we've done in past weeks, we'll dismiss all of you who are online and then we'll spend some time just going around the room and how are you doing? Who are you? Where are you? What are you praying for? How is the Lord strengthening you? How is he manifesting himself to you? How can we serve you? How can we love you? So that's the roadmap for this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, who is Silas, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. In the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us, And of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place, your faith towards God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols, to serve the living God, the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. 
For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others. When we, might make, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you. As a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God. But also our own lives. Because you have become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it. Not as the word of men, but as it is, in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea, in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you? In the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is coming. For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left alone in Athens, left in Athens alone, and sent Timothy, our brother, and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, 
that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before, when we were with you, that we would suffer tribulation just as it has happened. And you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith. Lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy with which we, we rejoice for your sake before God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, for you know what commandments we gave to you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is the avenger of all such. We also forewarned, as we also forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are, in all, who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly to those who are, <coughs> excuse me, to those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. 
For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You all, you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. That whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, 
May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Now, as I began this, do you get a sense of his love for people? I, again, to me, it's, it's a... Um, his transformation in Jesus is, for me, an example to follow as I continually watch Paul lay down his life, not only for Jesus' name's sake, but for the sake of others, compelled by love, not compelled by the law, not compelled by works, not compelled by his own... Um, you know, self-inflation and all those kinds of things. He is just passionately in love with the people that God has created and that God has saved. And we can see this in all of his letters. Now on this, backing up to the first section, this is part of my personality that um, I've exposed to you before and I want to continue to expose to you. Um, because this is something that I often communicate and it's also part of my personality where I can, I can sit in discouragement really easy rather than expectation in God. And that is this phrase in verse 5 of chapter 1 where Paul says that our gospel, which ultimately is the gospel of God, did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. There's another thing that he says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians. Similar words, he says, My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And in Romans 1, the gospel of Christ, it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So when I sit in and when I look at my own context... In my exposure to Jesus, in my church relationships over the last 20 years, in the culture in which we sit in, in the history of the books that we can all read, in the testimony of others and what God has done throughout history, there are many ways in which I have witnessed the power of God, both what we would define as natural and the power of God as supernatural. But when I sit in our own history of Calvary chapels, I listen to the testimony of those who were there in the 60s and 70s and the revival that came from the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God alone, not from man and not from man's programs, but what God 
did then is a constant and continual prayer in my life for God to do it again. Now, when I sit in my flesh, I'll sit in the discouragement like, God, why not me? Why haven't I experienced this and that? Why haven't I seen this and that? Why don't we see this and that? And it's easy to focus on the negatives. And it took me a long time to understand, like, this is how God has wired me, not just in my personality, but it's also something that he speaks to me because I believe that this is something that God wants me to continually pray for and seek after. That as I stand up here, as we interact with one another, as in this, whether our congregation or all the congregations throughout the world, as people meet in the name of Jesus, that as we gather, we would be faithfully proclaiming, teaching, examining, having discourse, dialogue, explaining, persuading through the word of God, this is who God is, this is who Jesus Christ is, that his word would go forth in what? Not with the persuasive words of wisdom, not in some creative argument that regardless of who is doing the speaking, whether they're as boring as whatever, or they're this huge dynamic speaker, that those who are listening aren't motivated by the individual, but that they're motivated through the spirit and through the power of Jesus' resurrection through the power of his word. Does that make sense? Like, and these are things that I see consistently. I can look at my own life and I can see the power of God's word from the very beginning. For the first time, I started having people proclaim to me who Jesus was out of his word and out of his truth. I have watched God transform my life and continue to transform my life every single day. And I'm thankful for it. At the same time, I've seen the Holy Spirit, not just in my own life, but the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. But there again, in me, I always feel like there's more. I sit in this tension of, God, I know that you have created me. I know that you have called me. I know that you have saved me. I know that you have anointed me. I know that you lead me. I know that you equip me. I know that you build me. I know that you sanctify me. I know that you glorify me. I know it's all you, Jesus. I know all of these things. And I know the present reality. I am in Christ now and for all eternity. Whether we live or whether we die, we are in Jesus and he is present here. Amen? But at the same time, I have this tension. Lord, there's more. This culture discourages me. The body of Christ in most places, and again, I'm not, I don't want to throw stones at people, but it's part of our culture. Our culture is filled with consumers. What do I get out of it? When we gather together, often when we enter to a building, it's what does the property look like? What does the building look like? What do the programs look like? What do the activities look like? What does the preacher sound like? What does the music sound like? What does the children's ministry look like? What does the youth program look like? It's what about all of these other secondary things which are important. So I don't want to just cast those things away, but we don't want the secondary things to become the primary thing. And the primary thing is that as we gather together, we want to gather in the name of Jesus Christ, underneath his power, underneath his authority. Jesus, do whatever you want to do in our midst. We're not here, as Paul says, I didn't preach the gospel to please men. I preached the gospel to please God. 
I didn't work just to make you comfortable. I worked because God was directing me to work. Everything that I watched Paul do, he was imitating Jesus, who he did not know, who he was persecuting, who he ultimately was hating. And I watched God transform his life, that as we sit in the records that are preserved for for us about him, I see a man that is madly in love with his Savior, and he is madly in love with people. Our culture in general and in the gatherings of the body of Christ, there are many bright spots of where you see love just being poured out for God and for man, and it's awesome. But at the same time, we see the contrast where, do you know that there are believers in Jesus who will not have anything else to do with other believers in Jesus? because they don't agree on the rapture that Paul just talked about in 1 Thessalonians? We all know that. It's a theological point. It's a doctrinal point. There's discussion, and we can all land on different places. I land where I land, and I'm part of Calvary Chapel because I'm in agreement with where all that lands. But that there are believers in Jesus who would want nothing to do with me simply because I hold a different doctrinal position that they do on a secondary issue. That heart ought not to be because that heart is an imitator of Satan. That heart is an imitator of the world who is after its own and is after its own power and is after its own lust. That heart is a heart that was my natural man and my natural flesh. It's only about me and what I get. My life, my context, my circumstances. But the heart of Jesus is what? We just read in in Philippians last week, as we watch our God humble himself, the God of gods and the Lord of lords. Godhood was not something that he seized and grasped. It's something that he is. Humbled himself. Had this mind. Had this love. Had this humility. So when we look at Paul, we see him imitate Jesus, right? And as Paul is going from community to community, what is he seeking to do? He's seeking. He's called a, he owns that gospel. He owns that message. This is mine. It's been given to me. It's been entrusted to me. God is the one who has approved me. He's the one who has entrusted me with this message. And it's mine because it's his, because I'm his. And this is what I'm giving to you. Not me, Jesus, his message, his heart, his life. Now follow me. And this is the thing that's fascinating about human beings. Imitators become imitated. And that's what we see here. Paul is telling the Thessalonians to imitate me. And as you have become imitators of me, as you have followed my pattern and my example, others have now become imitators of you. The baton was passed. The gospel was passed. The truth was passed. And it didn't get messed up in that story of you go around the room and you give one secret and then it gets distorted as it goes around the room. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is in each one of us, keeping us grounded in the word of God 
in which is the power of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, anointed by God, and may he pour out all of his gifts upon us, not for our individual use, but to minister to one another. And Lord, as we have become imitators of you, we need to realize that other human beings are going to imitate us. And this ultimately, this is the language that he is using as he is telling them about his heart for them. What is he saying? As a mom who is nursing her baby, that's the kind of gentleness and love and care that I have for you. As a father protects, provides, instructs, raises up his child. That's my heart for you. I feel like Paul says when he was taken away, that word is orphaned. I've been orphaned from you for a time because there's this distance. And this, again, this is kind of the emotion that we all sit in as we're sitting in our homes right now rather than all gathered in the same room. We're separated by physical distance and there's a longing to be with one another. Now, is it just a disease that is keeping us from being present with one another? Is this Satan behind the scenes? Is this the work of God behind the scenes? We have to let God lead us in all of those emotions. But again, Paul, using this language of family, familial love, a mother for her child, a father for the child, that this separation that we have, it feels like this taken away is, it feels like, I've left you, I've orphaned you, I've abandoned you. And Paul is communicating, that's not so. And he's, he's expressing the heart. Because this is, this, and this is key, he knows in this community that Satan is at work. Paul, earlier in, uh, in Acts 16, we're told that the Holy Spirit was the one who hindered Paul from doing what Paul wanted to do. Here in this letter, he's saying that Satan is the one who is hindering me from doing what I want to do in this circumstance. Again, we're dependent upon the Holy Spirit to lead us. Lord, is this, is this you? Is this the enemy? Is this my flesh? Is this the world? Like we need that, the mind of Christ to give us understanding in those circumstances. But Paul is very aware that Satan is the one that is hindering him from returning this community because he only spent a few weeks for them. And again, that three-week period, four-week period, a month, whatever that was, look at the depth of love that he has for these other human beings. I I find it fascinating. This isn't a stone. But how many other people have you interacted with for a month, for a year, for a decade, that your love for them isn't even any greater than it was from the day that you met them? Your concern for them, your esteem for them, your care for them. Again, this is, this, I'm asking this question of myself. Lord, grow me. Give me your mind and your heart. Let me love the way that you love. Let me be concerned about the activity of Satan as he is destroying the lives of others, the persecution of the circumstances that they go to. Paul knows that he left them in a climate of persecution. So he sent Timothy, and when Timothy comes back, Timothy gives him testimony, right? So as he gives him testimony of what's going on, there's either, hey, the church has these questions for you, because again, 
Timothy's a co-worker. He could, have, he could have taught them the truth of the gospel just as much as Paul could. So either Timothy is coming with, they have these specific questions for you, Paul, or as Timothy is having a conversation with Paul, hey, here's what's going on in the community. And what's going on in this community is that sexual immorality is still a huge issue in this culture. It's a huge issue in our culture. So as Paul turns to this topic, again, it's, it's not that we're supposed to snicker at it and ooh, and this is not something that we talk about in church. These are very real issues in our culture. It's very real issues in this culture. And the church was being damaged in this community because of their ongoing sexual immorality, their sexually immoral practices, which they had learned from their culture that Jesus Christ has freed them from of, hey, This ought not to be your behavior in Christ because he has not called you to filth, he has called you to holiness. And then the same thing, this is where I brought up uh, the title for this morning. I called this morning's message God Taught because it's a singular word in the Greek, but we we are taught by God to love one another. And I love the, the, the promise of the new covenant in Jeremiah. We are told that we are given a new heart where nobody needs to tell you to know the Lord. Nobody needs to tell you to love the Lord and to love one another. The new mind and the new heart that God has given to you, he tells you every day to love him and to love people. He tells you every day to lay down your life as a sacrifice for him and for others. But you have free will and I have free will. And we choose to say, yes, Lord, I'll love you, or no, Lord, I won't. Or yes, Lord, I'll love this person. No, Lord, I'm not going to love that person. But he gives us this constant call through his spirit to what? To love each other. And we don't have to tell each other to love each other, but we do it anyways. And that's what I love about this. Paul's already communicated to them the gospel, the truth of the word, They already know everything that he's talking about. And this is the weird thing about being a pastor coming up here and teaching week after week. I am a broken record. I say the exact same thing every week. Different way, different context, different example. Love God, love people. Let's pray together. Let's live this life together. Let's keep our eyes and attention on him until the day that he comes. And in this church, they're struggling with death. They're struggling with people who are passing away. They've been told that Jesus is coming. Are those who have fallen, did they miss Jesus? Are they now outside of the kingdom? And again, what Paul preaches here in regards to the coming of Jesus are the exact same words that Jesus preaches in Matthew 24. As he is communicating, this is what it's going to be like when the Son of Man comes. And again, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty dry when you just read through it. But close your eyes for a second and use your imagination. Jesus himself is going to descend from heaven because he already has ascended back to heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, his place for all eternity. He will descend with a commanding shout. What does that sound like to you in your imagination? With the voice of an archangel what's pouring out of Michael's mouth at this moment. With the trumpet of God. 
The dead in Christ are going to rise. The bodies that are dead and buried in the ground that have decomposed and returned to dirt. The spirit that is with the Lord and the body that's been been buried are going to come and meet the Lord in the air, in the clouds. This imagery of his glory. Forever we will be with the Lord. And ultimately, this is all of this exhortation, this is where Paul is getting to, because this is the first time that he gives them the command. You comfort one another with these words. It's an imperative, it's a command. Remind each other where Jesus is. Remind each other Jesus is coming. Remind each other he's not just distant and far away, but he is coming soon. And as he continues this, these exhortations, it's like he's just, he's, is he running out of parchment? We don't know. But over and over, there's these imperatives at the end. And I emphasize them as I read through them. We'll do it again, Chris. And children, come on up and we'll get back into worship. But these imperatives are to be at peace. Our body, we are to have the peace of Jesus Christ in our midst. Those who are unruly in our midst, we are commanded to warn them. Those who are struggling in their faith, we are commanded to comfort them. Those who are weak, we are commanded to hold them up. Those who are just annoying you like no other, we are commanded to be patient with them. We are commanded to pay attention that what's going on in your heart and your mind that you are not returning evil for evil, but that we are to pay attention that we are to always pursue what is good for yourself, yes, and for all of us together. We are commanded to always rejoice in Jesus. We are commanded to without ceasing Pray, petition God, ask God, seek God. We are commanded that in everything in our life, give thanks to God. And we could say, why? Because this is God's will in Jesus for us. Don't quench, don't throw water on the fire of the Spirit in your life and the lives of others. Don't despise God speaking through others, whether it's foretelling, this is what God has said, this is what he's doing, but when somebody does say, thus saith the Lord, or is prophesying, speaking in the name of Jesus, don't despise these things, but test these things. What God says, hold fast to it. What the devil says, turn away from it. Let's worship.